Brad Meldo impersonator. Oh, this is Brad Meldo? See what I'm talking about? Exactly. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Keys. Hey. Explained. Keys Explained. Coming at you today. More, sponsored more coming by, on that I later. love it so much. Coming at you today. Sponsored by Open Studio. Today we're talking about one of our favorite Keys player, friend of the show, yes. the great Brad Meldow, who had a terrific interview with the great Rick Beato. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We thought we'd play we're a little bit. We're going to break it down. But first, we got to apologize. No, 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 no. We don't. I didn't know we were doing Brad Meldow. <laughs> you didn't know we were doing Dear Prudence? Did well, the, no. I Beatles, mean, once you Peter. start. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar once you started the vamp, I was like, oh, that's Beatles, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know we were supposed to be imitating Brad Meldow. Yeah, well. So that was a bad imitation. Here's the thing. Every time I start to do some kind of Meldowish thing, yeah. I start to go into an imitation and then I just totally lose what <laughs> my focus because I'm right. like, uh, I, I start laughing at like, that's Brad. Fanboy? A little bit of a fanboy, <laughs> for sure. 100% fanboy. But it's free, funny because I don't think when we go into that, see, my I always go back to the Brad Meldow with Christopher Holiday days. That's how far I go back in terms of hearing Christopher the first Holiday, wow. Are you familiar with this word? No, I don't Saxophonist. Know. Yeah, that was the first time I heard Brad. It's back in New York in the late 80s, yes, early 90s? late 80s, maybe 90, 91, 90, something like that, yeah. Chris Holiday was a young and upcoming bebopping alto player. Yeah. And that's what Brad was doing. He was not doing this style of stuff, but... So we'll link to this full interview. This is an interview yeah. with Rick Beato and Brad Meldow called The Greatest Jazz Pianist of Our Generation, right? Humbly titled. Humbly titled. <laughs> which isn't too far Rick. from the truth, honestly, because Brad has been such an influence over so many jazz pianists. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly make the case. is not out of the, you know. It is. He's, he's up there for sure yeah, for his generation. I got no problem with that title. It's interesting. Um, I, I think that, you know, well, we're going to talk about it, but I think that Rick did such a wonderful job. Like his interview skills have gotten so yeah uh interesting and um you, you know it's funny like i th always figure when somebody like what is the mix to be a great interview between oh he or she is asking the question i was just wanted to have answered that's right but to me the next level is like oh that's actually what i want to hear him ask and i didn't even think of didn't that didn't even think about that's it. even better sometimes the obvious questions are fine but he's really good at kind of leading down a pathway with genuine curiosity yeah. and and love for what Brad does. And I think brought out one of the one well, of the better for what everybody um, jazz piano interviews. What everybody he's interviewing does. Like he's yeah. been for me, like, and this is we'll just we'll get to Brad in a minute, but just talking about Rick Beato and his YouTube yeah. channel, which you know, we know a, a little bit, not on that level, about coming up with a music YouTube channel and and how hard it is and how difficult yeah. it is to make the content. Uh, great. And especially interviews and especially with the caliber of people that he's been interviewing. I think, you know, his channel was really good when it was the 20 greatest guitar intros yeah. and, yeah, the, yeah. and the the little music theory whiteboard sessions. Remember those? Oh, yeah, those were sure. so interesting and yeah. so great. But I think this era of Rick Beato, where he's interviewing Sting and Brad Meldow and Pat Metheny and, Pat Metheny and all these amazing, yeah. you know, legendary musicians, Joni Mitchell, like all these people. Yeah. Uh, I think is his best era. I think this is what he is actually best at. It's a super which is, interesting. He's good at all that other shit too. So this is really impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a super interesting lane that he's riding in. It's not his only lane, but it's a, it's a very interesting one. It's one that he's well-suited. It's one that he's put a lot of um, thought. Of course, he has such a interesting background, I think in music and well-rounded in a number of areas that, but even when he comes to something as specific and, potentially bespoke as Brad Meldow is, you know, 
uh, he still brings that like attention to detail in terms of, I mean, he's not up there, you know, asking these generalized questions about what do you think of the music industry and all the, you know, like he's really asking interesting, you know, you can tell he's a fan, yeah. but he's also probing in there in just the way that engages well, me as a viewer. He has a lot of knowledge about the artists. Obviously he's he just has a lot of baseline knowledge about music in general yeah. and musicians, but also his, his knowledge of music theory can be very helpful as we're going to see in this interview. Baseline. Say what you see, say what you see. <laughs> Say what you hear. <laughs> hear it before you see it. See it before you hear it. That's right. Wait. Uh, speaking of Rick, um, so yeah. Before we before we get too deep into the video, too, we started off with Dear Prudence there because I thought it's a great example of one of the themes of the video that that Brad talks about. Yep. Which is his influence from guitar music. So they start off the video, and we're not going to watch this clip, but I thought it was a really interesting part. Watch the whole video, but at the very beginning, yeah. they talk about like what's the difference between what you do. And doing all the covers of like Elliot Smith and and the Beatles and 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 Jimi Hendrix and folks like that, yeah. Radiohead. And Brad said, "Well, what have what's in common is is there's guitar. There's a lot of open strings, and I think Dear Prudence is a great example of that, mm-hmm. right? We just have this like, yeah, G major triad on top, and then this one." line moving down that's a very you can hear that so clearly as a guitarist like how easy that is to do to make happen how natural that is on the instrument and it's something that i think brad melville has been really you know especially in the 90s was very forward thinking and copying yeah and has now become a whole other stream of jazz piano (laughs) like so many jazz pianists Mm. have copied brad melville that has kind of become its own style almost right That, that sort of like taking cues from guitars open strings bands that are fronted by guitars that are, are you know primarily guitar as opposed to you know more piano based stuff well and just on that point to lean into the uh potential hyperbole of the title the greatest jazz pianist of our generation could it have been the most influential jazz pianist of our generation and our generation is always a tricky thing because like yeah. what do we like that's such a uh you know, possessive thing to be like, you know, our generation, what are we talking about? People that look like Rick around middle-aged or whatever, or are we talking about those that are in their prime, those that are coming up now? But if you talk about the kind of Gen X as we broke it down, yeah. like pianists, influential, I think is always, I mean, greatest, there's so many, you know, just wonderful pianists that we could name. I think that Brad might even bristle at that greatest jazz, but it's a little, you can be a little bit more objective. We could be a little more objective about influential, um, uh, like, because you came, you, you know, I was not as much influenced by Brad, although I was somewhat, but as, as more of a contemporary, yeah. uh, and not, that doesn't mean that you can't be influenced, but because of the way things kind of went, but I was influenced in terms of like, I came right after him on the Joshua Redmond gig. So like, I was learning those tunes off the record, listening to Brad, like transcribing, maybe not like his souls, but like the way he played. I like, I remember learning that music. So yeah. there was an influence there, but you were very influenced even from like a conceptual standpoint of like what a piano trio could be. Absolutely. Like and I what think, direction, how do you pull these different um, forces together to create that? Totally. And I think a lot of musicians my age had a similar influence. We talk about a lot, a lot here about the great Robert Glasper, who is another now super influential musician, but yep. you know, Robert who's more around my age. Yeah. You know, you could tell took some cues as he was 
learning this music from Brad, who's a little bit older than him, obviously yep. made it way his own thing and did a whole different thing with it. But that's how deep I think Brad Meldow's influence goes is, is on almost every, certainly pianist, but on almost every musician that's come after him. There's some sort of lineage there. And then, like you said, like greatest pianist. I mean, isn't Gonzalo about your, yeah. both your ages? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't he so. just the he's greatest pretty good. Like, he's pretty good <laughs> and just from a piano playing standpoint like there's there's plenty of great pianists but like yeah. i think influences i think gonzalo also very influential but i think brad has this very wide net of influence yeah for to sure. people younger sure. than him and i think it's it's always interesting to think about like someone that's just a little older like i know for me kenny kirkland although maybe he was a little bit more separation in age between um you and brad say or, or glasper and brad but like I mean, it's one thing to be like, I'm, you know, the most influential pianist on me is Oscar Peterson or Mead Lux Lewis. Like, of course, those were greats, but like we relate to them in such a different way. Although Oscar Peterson, I did get to meet and see him live yeah. a couple of times. So there is that. But sometimes when there's like that longer separation, yes, they're very influenced, but there's nothing like seeing somebody that's right ahead. I mean, Wynton Marsalis 100%. was so influential on uh, my generation, partly because like he was just a few years older doing these things, yeah, like yeah, yeah. interacting with us in a way. He didn't seem like that there wasn't this separation of generations, even though we know that jazz music is wonderful for bringing together multiple generations and different types of people around the world and all these kinds of things. But there's nothing like somebody five to 10 years older than It's you. five to 10 years. That's yeah. the sweet spot. And for me, it was Brad, it was you, it was Jeffrey Keezer, it was, mm. it was Eric Lewis. Uh, mm. It was all these guys who were about your age, right? And mm. I'm not much younger than you. I'm, I think we're six or seven years yeah, apart. Yeah, seven years. But that's like right in the sweet spot because I'm like 15, 16. Seven years is also the sweet spot for the extreme amount of knowledge differentiation. You'll learn that over uh, the next seven years. I know. <laughs> but but Jackie Terrason, like yeah. I remember being 16 and hearing Jackie Terrason and, and Ed Simon and yeah. like all the... And, and Jason Moran. Well, I guess he's a little more... No, Jason Moran is about, about five years older than me. But when okay. I moved to New York, he was doing... Like these are the people when you're like... 15, 16, 17, 18, and you want to be, you're a, you're truly an aspiring jazz musician. Yes. You're seeing people actually doing it who are around your age, right. but a little bit older. That's, I think, very, very powerful. Yeah. yeah, for me, I mean, Kenny Kirkland, Marcus Roberts, very much there for me. See, um, all those guys have, they're in the same for me. They're the same as Oscar and Bill Evans because right. they already have already existed. And watching Brad Meldau ascend, you're like, yep. that's, he's ours. You know, he's our right. generations. right. Yeah, and I think that's where that five to 10 years, that's a very five, maybe even 12, 15, that's a great sort of sweet spot, you know? Yeah. Well, let's cool. check out a little bit of this um, yeah. video here. I've got a couple of, I've got about three places queued up. You know what I love too, I just want to throw out there about what Rick does in this interview is like, he's very, I think, pure and honest to the music and to the artistry of, in this case, Brad Mello. But in like all of his interviews, he stays very, clear in terms of like what he's asking and what he's trying to pull out of the artist and doesn't he doesn't act any differently towards brad as he does towards like pat metheny or ron carter who are maybe i mean maybe pat metheny is more like his contemporary but mm -hmm. ron carter of course is an elder statesman like he's approaching it from a mu musical and artist standpoint you know like in terms of like so in other words, he doesn't come to Brad and be like, okay, you're a young guy. I know you're really good and whatever. I mean, of course, he's not going to do that. Probably but, about the same age, right? Rick and Brad? No, no, no. Rick, a little Rick older, be a maybe? little bit older, yeah. yeah. 
that's what I'm saying. Like you wouldn't know that. Like that's a great interview when there is no yeah. like, oh, he's talking differently because he's a little younger, or he's talking differently because they're the same age, or he's talking differently because they're older. Like he's really on a level playing field in terms of like I'm coming to you, understanding you as an artist, the music you make. I want to learn more about that, that inquisitiveness yeah. that transcends generations. You know. Well, let's check out some of the cool musical moments here from this interview. Two of the tracks that were just released. This is him talking about Chris, Potter and Chris Potter's new album. John yeah. Patitucci. Oh, yeah. Great. So, great. Chris so, so and yeah. I noticed that your comping is different. You use more triads and things like that more than you would have comped maybe 20 years ago. Mm. That Interesting. Do you notice a difference or do you, have you even thought about that? It could be the factor of what I find a challenge playing with, with a monster like, like Chris Potter who... Um, it's sort of like how Sonny Rollins didn't use piano players too much because right? <laughs> it's almost the feeling I get is he didn't need them. So Chris is, is covering so much harmonic material um, in, in the solo itself. It's all there. You know, it, it, the melody is there and the harmony, it's all in the line. Yes. And it's very dense. So maybe what you want to find when you're, when you're comping with him isn't that he doesn't need your support. He doesn't need you to fill him out. But maybe something that's key in the phrase or the chord or the tune that might give it more of a, a story to tell in that sense. So I just think this is incredible so advice for less, uh, incredible advice for pianists who are yes. comping and just noticing, first of all, the level one is like noticing the difference between Chris Potter and, and another saxophonists who might need more harmonic support or demand more harmonic right. support. But that level of sim- sensitivity, I think, is we, something we can all immediately take with us to the bandstand yeah. of like listening, asking yourself what is needed in this situation. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear this record uh, because I've always felt like, uh, well, I was reminded recently that Brad is such a great comper, oh, right? Yeah. And and because, you know, he's so known for solo playing and trio playing and, you know, different situations where... Maybe, well, with his trio, I think he does great comping. Yeah, he does. I just saw that. I mean, like, you know, behind bass or just in terms of interactivity, like he's very, like he really listens, of course, all the typical skills you would need to do that, but plays interesting things and has a really cool concept on it too, you know? He's, he's like all great accompanists, I think his strength is his presence. So he's very, very present. He's very, obviously very uh, in tuned with what's happening around him. I remember, uh, hanging out with Doug Weiss, great bassist, yep. amazing bassist. And this was back when I was at the new school and Doug was teaching, I think uh, it was the Wayne Shorter ensemble that we were all in with Doug. He was awesome. Uh, Wayne and, was at the new school at the same time as well. Yeah, <laughs> nice. No, we were studying Wayne's music, but anyway, Doug had been playing with Brad Meldow at that point, you know, filling in for Larry on, on some things. And, I, and we were all like, what, what is it? What makes him so great? Cause we were all fanboys or whatever. And he's like the difference between Brad and, and a lot of other musicians is his just incredible attention to the moment, mm. his incredible commitment to staying present with you for the entire night. Yes. He's there every moment with you for the entire night. And yeah. I, this is paying off here. Let's kind of hear how he yeah. finishes up this no, thought. It's not as dense in praxis. It's just like with Charlie Parker. You, right. You take away right. the music, everything is there. You know what the progression is. Like in Bach, you don't... Like in Bach, I mean, Bach is kind of the model, Bach. right? The model. Because it's Bach. like if we've got, let's say... So now he's talking about filling out the line harmonically. Or maybe the most famous that everyone... So it's an arpeggiation, which means it's spelling out a chord that I can play. That if I was comping behind Chris, I'd play a chord. 
But if it's already there in the line, it's doing two things. It's giving me the harmony, but it's also a nice melody, you know? So it's kind of both. When you're copying- You know, I love the way Brad, like, talks. It's like the way he writes, like that, that wonderful response he put on our previous video. We'll link to that video. We did a little breakdown of his- him in like the late nineties, you know, but pretty um, killing solo. like what he's saying is really deep and I think kind of important, especially yeah. if you're into this kind of stuff totally. to, to approaching the piano, like we like to think about it, but it's very simple and um, unpretentious actually. Like totally it, because it's so deep what he's saying, it might on the surface seem pretentious, but like the way that he's saying is very simple and clear and just like accurate and very deep, I think. I know. I think he would be a great teacher. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it would be great to get him here at Open wow, Studio. I don't would know. Be, that would be wonderful. If anybody knows. Uh, no, but I mean, it's like he has he has the pianistic abilities and, and obviously the musical nuances and like the concepts to just speak in a way that we'd be like, and he's a really smart guy, obviously, too. But like he could kind of talk in a way that made no sense to anyone. And you'd be like, well... No wonder I can't play like him. But I mean, like he's just sort of breaking it it's down. It's a very simple way that it's he's a very, a very simple and yeah. accurate, and know? that's hard to do actually. Yeah, I love it. Caleb, can you bring up that that little chart I made for this next section? So this is uh, Jimi Hendrix's "Hey Joe," and they're talking about Brad's cover of it, and he talks about how he approaches the harmony here. And I thought it was really, really interesting. And again, very simple. Yeah. But when you hear him do it, it's like, is that all he's doing? And it kind of is, which is amazing. Zone. Maybe I'll start changing uh, something that Kenny Werner, one of my teachers, was great. He would talk about changing the function of the chord. Um, so the top line I have here is the original context, changes, and the bottom this, line is what I've he does to change it. I've still got my bass motion. It's still a C chord, a G chord, and a D, but maybe I'm going to change the nature of the chord, the function... So here I'll do it the first time, just the way it usually is, and then start to change the kind of chord it is. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Maybe put a little Aeolian vibe in the... It's the flat six there. And then do some voice leading within that on each chord. Oh. So those kind of things. But good wrist I love movement. that good so much. movement. Yeah, yeah. So just starting out with like basic. Right, just the basic triads, but then getting into what you might do. And I love that he talks about the Aeolian here, because this is a very Bradism. So when he goes yeah. to the minor, it might be that, but yeah. you hear this. Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna imply that Aeolian thing, yeah. right? Key of E flat. As a way to just change up how he's there was a lot of sussing, there was a lot of voice leading going yeah. on in the way he was doing it. And he was doing these five tuplet things too, which is a whole other but level. He's just explaining it so simply. There's a lot more, of course, there's there some, in terms of details, yeah. but he's not he's letting them that kind of come out organically in yeah. the music. No, there's like fifty years of voice leading yeah. training happening yeah. within that, but it's it's pretty awesome. Uh so that's uh make the complicated sound uh, sound simple. That's that's, that's right. the way the masters do. Exactly right. And there's one more area that I wanted to to touch on here where he talks about sort of the evolution of the harmony of jazz and specifically the pacing genre. on this interview is fantastic yeah it's a, it's a long it's how, a long i think it's like an hour and a half, and a half. yeah yeah it's like 90 minutes Which is hard to pull off it's the pacing is on point it's super worth it though i, yeah. I highly recommend you just take your time and, and Wait, watch Rick, the you got thing. a youtube plaque in the background how did that get there oh yeah huh. 
Oh, interesting. Like that's loads right. and more complex, uh, yeah. That's a really interesting intersection there. So you go from Coltrane, right, and then you have Wayne almost at the same time, a couple yeah. years later, mild, you know, Giant Steps 1960, then you get to Speak No Evil, that record. Yeah. Jazz harmony changed because of why. Mm. Why did it change there in the 60s? Mm. From, from Coltrane... Da, 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 yeah. To... He's on key. These other kinds of sounds. No? It's yeah. just they were searching for things. What do you What do you think about that? I think it, it's it's that thing That's where a lot of it's just originality and genius. But certainly you can see it in the figure of John Coltrane himself and the trajectory in a short time of these records he made. And and for me, the one that's so inspiring is the run of records that I think maybe you know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Were made in in a few sessions, maybe over a two week period. That's Coltrane sound, Coltrane plays the blues. But so then he's got, let's say, a Coltrane sound. He's got a standard, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Oh, yeah. So he's already taken it from this. And now he's pedal point. But still, we're in that harmony. But there's something here that's already looking forward to where he's going to go in a few years, which is going to be big chunks of pedal points. I just want to pause it here and just say, this is so brilliant. What he's saying here yeah. is, is like noticing, and we, we all can kind of get this, but I love this point of watching John Coltrane's evolution. His, this Coltrane sound, I don't know if you know Coltrane sound. Yeah, it's I love Coltrane what, sound. It's my fa- one of my favorite John Coltrane great albums, album especially from that era. Great album cover. Yeah. But to me, it, it is this transition between Giant Steps and Love Supreme Crescent yeah. era. Like you can hear it happening in all the pedal points. And then as Brad's going to allude to, he's still kind of working through his functional harmony era. But it's it's amazing to hear Brad talk like this and and recognize right these things so clearly so for me you know and thinking back to when i first met brad and stuff we were all like listening to blade and chris thomas and joshua brad that whole little circle whatever it makes sense but i love that he's picked out such a this is what i'm saying like he really knows how to focus in on totally simple and accurate and clear like this is a very this is one of coltrane's most simple things that he did in terms of putting the pedal point but he's able to just show it i mean like he could have been like some, you know, but he's 100% correct. This is that pedal more point complicated is the precursor to Crescent. Like right. it's starting There's a to musical trajectory flatten out you can the, hear. the heavy lines of the, of the sheet. Right. So that we're just like making things a lot broader, a lot, giving him a lot more room to put colors in there. Let's, yep. let's hear how he continues. And, but then it's going to be, as it goes on, it's going to be, it's going to be more his sound. It's going to be more modal over pedal points. And then he gets to the bridge and, you know, but he's going to put some giant steps in there. Mm. So he's doing that. He's at at this tipping point. He's starting to find, it's so exciting to hear those records, like the Coltrane plays the blues. Also great records. He's got this, I think that's Mr. Day, maybe? Mm. Yeah. Willie Akins used to play this one. So it's the blues, and it really feels like the blues, but it's something Mixolodian. Mixolodian? Yeah. And the other thing I love about this this record is McCoy Tyner, who for me is... Mixolodian. I just got that. Like, the great influence. And it's these records, and it's before he does this... 
before he was into playing all the fourth voices, yeah, and he played right. He did a, a whole totally different vocabulary. Yeah, it's yeah. thirds, right? Yes, and it's softer, and it's yes, and mm-hmm. and then it's interesting because he kind of leaves it, and then he goes on and he finds this fourth thing, and, and it's great. But yeah, so I think that's just this progression that that, that happened. Uh, mm. In a few singular musicians, you right. know, and to see how it's concurrent with Wayne and what he's doing and the way he's writing. Man, this is like a and, and, and a jazz history harmonic bedtime story. The way you say, I want to hear yeah. this, man. And, and again, like shout out to Rick Beato for <laughs> conducting this interview, for leading these questions and this, yep. this discussion in this great way. Leading questions. Uh, yeah, honor. I mean, not like he's not like <laughs> leading questions, but he is. He is definitely like steering this. Ooh, Brad, who's the there. greatest jazz pianist of your generation? <laughs> is it you? Hint: It's BM or his uh, initials. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, shout out to saying. Rick and yeah. shout out to Brad and go Great check stuff. out the whole interview and yeah, we'll link to it below till cool. next time. You'll hear it. <laughs>